Welcome to Agora by Give Something Back to Berlin. In this podcast series, we'll be finding out how migration has changed our urban landscape and exchange ideas with those who are making a difference. Join us while we tackle issues ranging from human rights and diversity to migrant identity and belonging. Welcome to the first interview episode of Agora. My name is Marie Helmschmidt. I'm your host for today's episode. And I'm very excited that we're meeting today in this very fitting location, which is the rooftop of Refugio, a project of the Berlin City Mission, where old and new Berliners live and work together, and where people of different cultures and backgrounds come together and exchange ideas. And joining me today is Rosa Silva from the Deutsche Wohnen und Co. Enteignen campaign. It's very nice that you're joining us today. Hi, Marie. So you are part of the Right to the City group, which is the English-speaking working group from Deutsche Wohnen und Co. Enteignen. Can you maybe tell me how and why you got involved with DVE? Uh, I, I got involved in, in, in February um, of this year, so uh, about six months ago or five months ago. And it was the middle of the pandemic winter and I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw on the stories, there's always uh, team Verstärkung um, for each of the different Keatses. And then there was one in English that was Right to the City, the English Language Working Group. And I had been wanting to get involved and that was um, a pretty low barrier entry for me. So I um, went to the website, wrote them an email and um, came to a meeting and the um, atmosphere in the Right to the City meetings is just super friendly and welcoming. And so then basically I was hooked. Do you have any personal connection to why you want to deal with the Berlin housing crisis? Yeah, I mean, um, I had a a couple of years when I was moving from sublet to sublet, so experiencing really precarious housing. Um, and it's quite clearly a systemic problem in Berlin. Um, uh, so yeah, the, the, the campaign um, f for me seems, seems really relevant to, to, to all of us. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the, the housing crisis because Berlin used to be a haven for artists, creatives, used to be like a renter's paradise with really low rents. But um, alone in 2017, the property prices rose by 20.5%. Also rents between 2015 and 2020 have gone up by 44% because of these um, property prices is um, in Berlin attracting an unusually high number of big property players. Um, can you explain maybe a little bit how the housing crisis came about and why prices rose so fast and so, so much? Yeah, um, there are, um, you're right, all of that happened and, and, and we've, we've experienced what, what that's like. Um, there, are, there are obviously multiple causes, but I think a really significant cause is um, like short answer, the financialization of the housing market. So, but what does that mean? Um, that means that, that the, the, the landlords of Berlin um, have, have changed. Mm -hmm. So um, since, increasingly since 2000, um, but, but, but even more rapidly in the last few years, uh, residential housing in Berlin, also commercial housing, has become, uh, been bought up by corporate landlords who are investing the funds of global um, asset management companies. So we're talking about companies like BlackRock, who have, um, I think BlackRock's assets are valued at about over 8 trillion USD this year. So we're talking about incredibly powerful actors. 
And this means that the relationship between tenant and landlord has really changed over the last 10 years in Berlin. So where, where the difference, why these landlords are different is that they, because the tenant is no longer their client, the client of these companies. The client of these companies is the shareholder. And the shareholders, it, with, these, with the kind of financial instruments that these um, companies use, they need quick profits. They need um, profits in a short time. They, they need to reduce prices um, in a really cutthroat manner and they need to maximise profits every single year for shareholders. That's, that's the financial service that they provide. And what that has meant is this incredible um, uh, increase in housing insecurity, increase in evictions and, um, and increasing rent. So what we can say pretty much is that it became not about the people, but about profits. And this is causing the sort of problem that we're seeing right now. Yeah, we're seeing this kind of, I would describe it as asocial. We've mm. got landlords who have no responsibility to the tenants. Yep. Yeah. So Deutsche Wohnen und Co. and Eigen has been actively campaigning against um, private equity firms buying up the city's property since 2018. Can you tell us how the organization was formed and what your main goals are? So the organization comes sort of out of the, the, the richness of decades of, of housing initiatives in Berlin. Um, multiple Keats-based initiatives or particular um, um, tenants who've, who've gathered together and also tenant um, like legal centres. Um, and um, I think it was a subgroup of the Cotty & Co um, uh, self-organised tenants group um, that found this paragraph in the um, Grundgesetz, the German Grundgesetz, the constitution, German constitution, um, that um, enables the socialization of, in this case, housing. And they then saw the opportunity then to create systemic change in Berlin and address this power imbalance um, between these incredibly powerful global actors and individual, um, individual Berlin tenants. Um, and they founded this campaign for a referendum. Uh, the, the first step of, of getting a referendum up is to gather 20,000 signatures, mm -hmm. which is what they set out to do in um, 2018. Uh, and they actually managed to gather over 70,000 at that stage. So it, it has been a really popular campaign in Berlin. Um, you don't have to argue very hard to convince Berliners <laughs> that, that the rent needs to go down. <laughs> I mean, um, we, you're, wearing, uh, you're wearing your beautiful vest that people are wearing and we're seeing them all over the city and mostly when I'm out and about, a lot of the people that they're asking are actually like, I already signed up. So I'm sh it's, it's totally right what you're saying. Like people aren't hesitating to like, lower rents, not for me. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's definitely working out. Um, yeah. But you are tackling only companies that have 3,000 properties in their, uh, that have bought more than 3,000 properties. But these large housing companies are obviously not the only ones asking for overpriced rent. Why not tackle all landlords? It's a good question. Um, the, the campaign has defined um, what, what has given a definition of, of, of um, large corporate landlords. And that definition is um, uh, companies that own more than 3,000 apartments um, because 
it is those um, companies that are acting in some ways they have they've purchased so many apartments and they are so powerful they have big PR departments they have legal departments the existing regulations simply um, they don't have to abide by them um, so they have the influence of these um, companies means that are, is a bit like a monopoly or in the previous ownership models uh, the larger landlords would have had to sort of gang together and form illegal cartels to have the same influence that these new um, corporate, really large corporate landlords are having on things like the Meech Beagle. So um, the definition of, of big corporate landlords being um, landlords that own more than 3,000 apartments is really designed to target the 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 players, the actors that are having this really systemic influence on the housing market, that um, that is that is that is too powerful for mm. for, for for tenants to deal with. Um, and so, what we're proposing is a is a completely new model for managing housing. Okay, one of the big problems that we can see in Berlin is that although 20% of the people living here don't have a German passport. Um, they can sign the petition, but their signature won't actually count as valid because they don't have a German passport. Um, what options do these people have to do something about this or to become also politically active in this issue that affects them just as well as all people with German passports? Okay, one of the things that the Deutsche Wohnen and Argen campaign has done is just they decided really early on to not ask people for their passports before they signed the petition. So. Um, we call these political signatures and um, when these signatures are counted, um, we get a, a, a figure. This, this is how many valid signatures were collected and this is how many invalid signatures are collected. And I think that this has given us a really good way to quantify how many people are living in Berlin who want to have a say in the future of the city, who want to vote in the referendum, and yet their signatures are deemed invalid. Um, I think this has put the issue on the agenda Uh, and created the possibility for us to keep being vocal about the, um, our, our demand to, to, for, for voting rights in the city and our, our demand for enfranchisement in the city. It's especially problematic because um, people without German passports oftentimes face discriminations on the housing market, um, unsafe living conditions, undignified living conditions also, um, with difficult difficulties concerning like the contract, also issues with registration, anmeldung, as we all know, like the magic word. Um, can you maybe elaborate a little bit on the specific problems that migrants in Berlin are facing on the housing market? Um, it's, it's actually really hard to do that in a really short and succinct way. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. Because, because different, different people have different relationships to the border, to they have different visas, they have different um, access to the housing market and different access to the labour market. And all of these things are intertwined. So um, if you um, cannot get an unmeldung, you can't get a job. Um, if you can't get a job, you can't get a contract because you can't demonstrate that you have enough, you're earning enough money. If you are not, if your visa means that you, you only have limited access to the labour market or no access to the labour market, you can't just demonstrate. So it's like a vicious it's like, circle. It's yeah. like a vicious circle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so what we hear um, certainly from people who are in right to the city is that people are, it makes people vulnerable. So they need somewhere to live, so they will accept really exploitative um, 
uh, contracts. So sub, 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 sub renting contracts where the, the main tenant is charging, is not paying any rent, but all the, the sub tenants pay, pay rent to the point that the, the main tenant is actually profiting. Um, from the illegal subrent, and yet they can still not unmeld. I mean, this is a super common situation. Um, and also people get pushed into illegal work to pay for really high rents, um, which is another situation of vulnerability where exploitation um, uh, happens really easily. Uh, so yeah, these things are all really intertwined and different, um, different migrant communities or different um, people with, have different relationships to this. And, um, so for instance, you could have a German passport, but also have a Turkish name and never be invited to, to, to even view an apartment or to even submit your applications. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's, there's not an easy answer to that question, but um, there are many ways that people are system, systematically excluded. Um, they are discriminated against. Um, and this, uh, migrants are constantly navigating these, um, these different uh, barriers to, to to finding housing. I mean, I think we can all agree that there's definitely a lot of problems that people are facing already um, with the higher rents, but also way beyond that. But if um, the rent issue could be attacked, then that would definitely be a first step to making the situation a little bit easier in at least this little part. Um, is there any chance that the signatures of non-German passport holders um, can be still included at some point? I don't, I, from my point of view, from my analysis, I, I doubt that we will be able to change the voting laws in Berlin before the referendum. Uh, but um, what we have done is put it on the agenda and we've made it really visible. Um, instead of being one small migrant group, we've brought all of the, the people who are excluded together. We have um, this, this um, a quarter of the signatures are, are invalid. Um, it's hard to ignore that. Um, and it's clear that most of those signatures are invalid because of the passport of the, of the signature um, giver. Yeah. I mean, and this is definitely a good step to put it on the agenda and to demonstrate like, look, there's this many people that are affected by this problem. So can we really ignore these many people that are actually living in the city, being part of the city, but not actually being included in, in issues that are concerning them? Um, yeah, I mean, Berlin um, markets itself as a, an international city, a diverse city, a multicultural city, and yet it has disenfranchised a quarter of its population. It's, it's a bad look, isn't it? It is a very <laughs> bad look. Um, you have mentioned before that the referendum campaign is trying to use Article 15 of the German Constitution. Um, it, it allows for socialization of land and property. Can you maybe explain a little bit more what that means and also what it would mean if it's successful? Because there's no legal precedent for this. Yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Going a little bit legal right now. Yeah, yeah. So you're right, there's no precedent for mm -hmm. using this particular um, article in the, in the Grundgesetz, but um, certainly there is precedent for expropriation. I mean, this, the state is doing this all the time uh, for autobahns, for ex coal extraction, um, whole villages and, and whole streets are, are expropriated um, routinely by the state. So um, it's, not, it's not the first time something like this has happened. Uh, but um, in this case, uh, the, the law enables um, the purchase um, of, of the properties, um, properties that are not being used for the common good. So 
um, uh, in order to use them for the common good, is, is how that, that um, paragraph has been interpreted. Could we say that then if the referendum was successful, it would actually establish housing as a human right? I think it would take a really good step, um, uh, make a really good step towards that, towards establishing um, housing as a human right. Um, we have calculated that um, the number of apartments that would fall into this category of being owned by landlords who own more than 3,000 apartments <laughs> is at least 240,000 apartments. Um, it's difficult to tell exactly how many apartments it is because some companies use shelf companies, so um, letterbox companies that are, that are collected together under an umbrella, um, so it's hard to track um, these who, who owns these apartments, but um, at least 240,000 apartments. And so if, these apartment, if the rent on these apartments was brought much closer to the cost of maintenance, um, it would not only mean that 240,000 <laughs> apartments were affordable for the long term in a sustainable way, uh, it would also affect the Meech Beagle and the rents of everyone in the city. So again, we have to make this very clear here, it's really a good thing for everyone that's renting in Berlin. We, be sure. we believe it'll bring, it'll make rent fairer for everyone in Berlin, yeah. Uh, and the other thing that, that, that is part of the proposal is to create a new form of housing management. Um, so we're not, we're not saying that the state should buy these houses and then manage them. We're saying that we should buy these houses and then the management will be from, a, um, from the tenants and from citizens of Berlin. Um, so it's a, it's a very democratic um, management model that we're proposing. Uh, and we think this is a really future-oriented, really... Um, uh, it's a new, it's a new model, and we think it's it's a really good a good um, solution to some of the challenges that the future is going to 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 bring to us. Things like climate change and um, uh, to have management that is flexible and um, responsible or accountable to the tenants and their needs. Um, it's going to allow us to make decisions to do things like put in rooftop solar or whatever it is that mm -hmm. is necessary. So kind of what we were saying earlier to come back from not being about profit, but being about people. Um, let's talk a little bit about the timeline. So if you get enough signatures for the referendum, what happens next? Like what's, what's the timeline of this? So the, we had four months to collect um, 170,000 signatures in this round. Uh, and that finishes on the 25th of June. So in just a few days from when we're recording this interview, um, we are very confident, actually, that we will hand in that, that, that number of valid signatures. I believe it will be almost twice that much, actually. So um, you already hit the mark? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Okay. We don't know until they've been officially counted, but I'm, I'm very confident. So uh, once that's happened, it means that we will, this referendum question will be put to the people of Berlin. Um, uh, we expect that to be, to be included in the um, election in September. So when people go to vote, they will also have the chance to vote for the referendum. Um, we're aiming for one million yes votes in, in September. Uh, and so the next um, phase of the campaign is to um, convince people to, to go and vote. Um, those of us whose signatures are rendered uh, are, are called invalid, um, and, but who would like to vote, we're saying, please go and vote for us. Uh, 
even if you don't usually bother going voting, <laughs> we're saying now is September is the time to make your way to the ballot box and um, and vote yes for the referendum. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk also a little bit more about your nice vest because this is the vest that also all your volunteers are um, are wearing in the streets. We just talked about it. Um, how can people actually get involved with DVE? Uh, do you have any volunteer roles that are still um, necessary to fill, especially also for people that are non non German passport holders? I love this word. I can't just get over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the whole campaign um, is is volunteer based. So. Um, I don't know of anyone who has a paid job in the campaign and there are tens of thousands of people involved in this campaign. You can imagine the effort that's required to collect that number of signatures. It's involved tens of thousands of people throughout the city. Uh, and that means that there really is a role for anyone who wants to be involved because you can imagine we have teams working on legal issues, drafting the, the law that we want to present to the Berlin Senate. Um, that, that shapes how these houses are going to be managed, for instance. We have teams working on social media, on press arbeit. We have teams training um, volunteers, so training people in signature collection, training people in argumentation. Uh, we have people designing posters. We have people putting up posters. Um, so if you want to get involved, you can come, go to the Deutsche Wohnen and Eigenen website. There's a page called Mitmachen, and on that page you have a whole lot of emails for each of the kids' teams, but also the Right to the City group if you prefer to work with English. And um, we have lots of subgroups, and you're very welcome to join us. Um, and what, you, what you'll do is send us an email. We'll send you some information about how to join our next meeting, but we'll also make, have a call with you to see how to best help, help you fit in and find something that suits you. Yeah, I mean, so we can see that there's a lot of different talents that people can have, and for sure there's something for all of these, these talents Absolutely, um, to yeah. support DVE. Yeah. Um, also, um, just if you are interested, at the end of this episode, we will put the link to the website into our credits so that you can see it again. Don't worry, just now. We'll, we'll, we'll fix you up with this. Um, we have a signature question that at the end of every interview we will be asking our guests, which is, what does giving back mean to you? Uh, I, I think that um, there's kind of two levels of that, that, that are two ways that I want to answer that. One is a personal level. So being involved in this campaign um, means that I feel really rooted to the city. I have met lots of people and created lots of networks that I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. So on a personal level, that is really rewarding. Um, but on a sort of a broader level, I feel like I've been part of... Um, part of shaping the future of the city. And it's a future that I think is going to um, make everyone's lives better. So that's pretty satisfying as well, yeah. Rosa, thank you so much for sharing about your work, about the work and the mission of DWE, Deutsche Wohnen und Co. Enteignen. And thank you guys, of course, for tuning in. And we very much <laughs> hope that you'll be joining us again for next episode.